Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. With more and more movies easily available on streaming services, it's harder to know what's worth watching and what might be a waste of your time. There are many hidden gems out there waiting to be discovered, and we want to help you find them. This is Trailer Rewind, a podcast where JJ and I, your virtual video store clerks, sift through the shelves to help you discover new favorites. 
Today is September 28th, 2021, and Skin is available on Canopy and Showtime streaming service. Now, there are a lot of movies titled Skin. There are. There is uh, this one, which was 2018 or 2019. Um, it listed differently in different places. Right. That's the, that was one of the hard parts of it, too, because there was a, a short for it first, and then yes. they made the movie in 2018. In some places, it was released in 2019, so a little bit confusing, but it's yes. out there. Because if I say, oh, skin directed by Guy Nativ, you're going to come up with this and the short. And, the short. Yep. and I thought the short was maybe related, but I think maybe thematically it might have to do with race, but it's not... It's not one of these where a short was made and then it was expanded into a larger film. So if you're looking gotcha. for this, this is the one with Jamie Bell with tattoos all over his face. Right. And because what's available on streaming services can change, it's possible that by the time, by the time you're listening to this show that this has changed. You can easily find where Skin 2018 is currently streaming using a service like JustWatch.com or... If you're on Letterboxd and have a patron or pro account, Just Watch is actually integrated into your account. So when you look at the Trailer Rewind watch list or a Trailer Rewind episode list, you can easily see where a film is currently available. If you don't have the patron or pro Letterboxd account, you can easily get a 20% discount on that by just going to truestory.fm slash Letterboxd. So JJ, let's take a look at the trailer to see what Skin is all about. Guys like this only have three options. Die young, life in prison, or they start talking. Not on our American soil! Make them leave! It's our last gig. Why? I don't want my kids to be around this. Hey, Pops! What you looking at? You. We don't tolerate stupidity. Got that? Yes, sir! Do you have one that you regret? Some. Why, you got one you regret? What was your first one? Fred gave it to me. He took me in. I owe him. I think real family don't make you owe shit. So you're a family man now. Listen, talk to me, babs. You know the Vikings ain't gonna like it. You're better than those racists. I don't know what to do. In this business, you've got to stay focused or fall right down the rabbit hole. What if I take all this stuff off and I'm still a piece of shit? We've talked about trailers and whether watching them yeah. before the film or after the film. Did you watch this one before or after? I watched it after. Okay. I watched it after. I did too. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, and I felt like the trailer was very indicative of what you're going to get in this film. I think it's it's a it's a strong sell, meaning it's going to tell you exactly what to expect from this movie. I don't think it was selling anything different than the intensity of the pressure and uh and and race drama that that happens throughout Skin. Yeah, I think that's Exactly right on. I think it was very well put together trailer. It hit on everything. And it watching it after the film, I just felt all that tension again. I was just like, okay, yeah, this too. is this is really delivering and setting you up for this is not an easy watch. This is tackling intense, emotional, disturbing subject matter when we deal with violence, racism, uh, all of that going on in this film. And it is just 
I mean, really in your face with a lot of this stuff. And the fact that this is based on a true story, it makes it even more unsettling and disturbing. And that was one thing that I didn't know uh, when selecting this film, as I started doing the research, I found that there was a lot of information about this story because this, this film came out in 2018, but there was actually a documentary back in 2011 on MSNBC uh, titled Erasing Hate. And okay. I, I looked all over the place to see if I could find that documentary. It's not out there streaming. You can find little clips and snippets of that. But th- this was really a hot topic at that time of having someone that actually is able to remove themselves from this white power skinhead movement and, you know, basically turn that corner. So there was a lot of interest in that. I think 2018, uh, unfortunately, still a timely subject, you know, to, to make a film about. So, yeah, it's it's not the typical biopic because it is really just about this moment in his his life. So when I think about what this film's about, what type of film I would, you know, who I would recommend this to, where, where I would shelf this thing. I wouldn't, I, I would want to say, oh, it would go in the biopics, but it's not really that. And I don't know if it's social justice drama. Is it just based on a true story type of thing? It's, it's not an easy to categorize film because I don't want to say, oh, just, you know, straight drama. It's, it's something really niche and specific that I, I think people I would caution them about stumbling into this film, not knowing what they're getting into. I think social social justice drama is actually a very apt title for it. I don't know that I that, you know, back when I was actually at the video store that we would have a shelf like that. But I think, you know, now because of the you know, and that was I'm talking about in the in the late mid 90s. Right. So, you know, now when we think about it, it's it's. It's on the it's in the current events. It's something that everybody's thinking about. That's why movies like this get made. And I think it would have the sort of relevance to put it alongside of something clearly like American History X um, or, or other social justice dramas. We just watched The Trial of Chicago 7 uh, just recently. There's a lot of things that um, that if you are into studying the history of what can happen and what 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 does happen to people who are in the social justice movement i think this belongs on a shelf like that and i think it in today's day and age if we had the same sort of video store there would be a an entire section probably a wall dedicated to social justice drama at this point well it's it's something that i find interesting when you have films that are the the narrative version of what typically might be a documentary like Trial of Chicago 7, documentaries about that. You know, we're going to tell this as a narrative story. So we're going to make choices about how we're going to present this story, even down to casting, who we're going to put in this film to, to play on those emotions. And so something like Skin, I think, does something similar where, sure, there's a documentary about this, but can we draw people in more by telling a story? Can we really get at the emotions through storytelling versus a documentary, which I feel is often relaying information. And I I greatly value that. And I think a film like this leans more towards we're going to play into the emotional side of things. We don't have a lot of facts and data to tell us about our main character, how he got specifically into a situation. We we see some events that happen. We don't we don't get that that newsreel type feel of these are the specific events. Uh, we, we don't have that procedural type element to it either of what legally what's going on. We really have a personal tale of, of someone who's in a really nasty situation and makes a decision to try to get 
out of it. And that's something that I found interesting early on. And I'm just going to touch on this in our intro piece because I, I found it an interesting choice, which is, you know, we're not getting into spoilers because early on we see the tattoo removal process being presented really early. So we know up front we're, we're presented with, with what's coming. So there's, there's not a surprise. There's no twist to this. There's, there's none of that. It's really a personal journey. And I think that's something else that's important for people. If you're expecting uh, a real thriller of, you know, what's going to happen, there's not so much of that. Uh, I think there's who's going to die at some, some points, you know, Feels like but, that, yeah. um, but we know, you know, this is based on a true story. Um, Brian and still, all the names, they didn't change the names. Right. Yes. All the names are accurate, which right. is he's, intense he's, as well. He's still alive. So, you know, he's going to make it through this. But I think that's that gets to what really the film is trying to do, which is tell a story of a person. And I think to a certain extent, and we may get into this in our discussion, is humanizing this a little bit in terms of what causes people to to get into these situations? What are the choices they make? What do they risk in trying to extricate themselves from from groups like this? And for me, that was really what this was was about, is that that pull and tug back and forth between these two families basically that he's he's torn between and for me that was uh looking at the choices he makes is what i found this film to be really what what compelled me to to stick with this film to find out because it wasn't a surprise of where it's going but i think it was more about the the why things happen rather than the what of what happens yeah and and the intensity is all in the drama of the situation and it's and it's very intense it's it's done really well and there is great intensity in uh, you know the the score in the way the story is told it's not a simple as you mentioned a biopic it's not a simple documentary style it's actually told very smartly uh with uh, foreshadowing of a lot of the, the the intensity and drama that's going to happen it's a it's really constructed well um and it's it's very intense yeah, and this is a film with a relatively small cast and few familiar faces that I want to touch. I mean, people may know the name Jamie Bell, but he's not, you know, one of those recognizable faces. And I think most people, when they hear that name, are going to think back to when he got his start in Billy Elliot, right? I mean, that's, I think, oh, the film that he was... I wasn't aware, yeah. Yes, you know, when he was a... A, a young, young lad. That's where he got uh, his start. Okay, so yes, 21 years ago. Um, you know, other little small parts here and there, but when I hear the name Jamie Bell, that's the name that I think of um, because he hasn't been a lead in a lot of things, but he really carries this film. And then yeah. we have uh, Danielle McDonald as his girlfriend and then wife. And again, a, another one that's really carrying this film. And, he, you know, had a had a role in in Bird Box, um, Dumplin, which I think was on Netflix. But again, you know, so people may recognize some of these faces, but these are not A list actors, and I think that helps really ground this in the reality of the story because we're not distracted by celebrity faces in this. We've got actors that can really bring these characters to life as people, and for me, that's what I found really worked as a strength to this film. I could just really find myself in this world. It's not a world I want to be in, right? But it, but it really felt, uh, you know, I guess leaning more towards that documentary side of, yeah, these are real people. This is a real story. This is I, you know, I'm not thinking about this as actors playing playing parts. And even 
I think somewhat unrecognizable as uh, Vera. How does how do you pronounce Farmiga? Farmiga. Yes, as as Shireen, who's sort of the mob of of that. Um, yeah, yeah. She was the most famous face that I recognized yes, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I think a really talented cast pulls this, pulls this together, and it's one that I'm reluctant to recommend to people because of the subject matter. <laughs> I right. don't know what to think. You know, how do you how do you in conversation say, hey, you may want to check out this movie Skin. It's based on a true story. It's about this, you know, horrible, horrible person who is a racist skinhead and, you know, tries to turn his life around. Right. It's a tough sell for, yeah. for this. But I think it's something that is worth watching for the journey that this, you know, that we go on. I think this. we're going to have to start getting a name for these types of movies, which yeah. we're really happy that they're made. They yes. need to be made. The yeah. stories need to be told. But how do you tell someone to go watch it? Right. I, I mean, it's know. just so yeah. intensely. It's such a huge downer and such a very frustrating thing. I mean, it's a good movie, but it's really hard. It's really work to get through and to and to and to handle the emotions that you're going to be put through in the film. So that we got to figure out a way to describe that. If someone comes in and says, "Give me some, <laughs> give me an assignment tonight." Wait, yes, me, tell me, tell yes. me to. Yeah, that's what it is. These that's, are these are assignment movies. These, we want to assign are. you to watch this. They, yeah. I was going to say it's like homework. It's like right. if you're taking a class about this, this would be something that would be assigned. You know, yeah. let's look at this story. Let's look at how Gang violence. Yes, all cult, of that cult indoctrination. Yes, yes. I mean, any there's a number of different things that could that could qualify in this case. And then of course social justice and race relations. I mean, that goes in there too. So no, I like that idea of calling them assignment films. It's something that uh, you've you've got to willingly ask for. You yeah, know, they're not to, recommendations. They're no, assignments. Yes, I like it. Too. They, they are. Okay. Well, for this assignment, how did you end up ranking this assignment? Because assignment films, I think, are challenging to right. to rank and rate be, just because of that nature. They're not something that's enjoyable. They're something that's informative and somewhat rewarding, but not in a feel-good way. I ended up ranking it pretty high because it's a very, very strong film in terms of execution. It's the the stories wound in a, in a really interesting way. Um, it ends up in a pretty high spot. It's 112 out of 268 for me. It's in a weird place. And when I look around, I don't know that I agree with it in that spot, but just, you know, sort of the way the algorithm went, it's right underneath Ant-Man, which, oh, wow. you know, a completely different style film yes. for me. And then right above First Man, which I think, you know, I, I was ultimately a, a little bit disappointed with in terms of the execution there, but I recognized again that it was a strong film. So we have this this movie and there's so many things I like about this movie, but I, I, I put it as 112 there and uh, I give it three stars, but a no like because I, I mean, <laughs> gosh, it's hard. Yeah. You yes. know, and that's the thing. I, I, I would never choose to watch this movie unless it was assigned to me. So that's where it sits for me. How about for okay. you? So it ended up at 345 out of 789, which I think mathematically we're in a that's similar, like right in the, yeah. similar place, like, you know, just above halfway with that. And it ended up in a interesting spot. So it ended up a couple places. A couple spots below one that we just talked about a little while ago, The Souvenir. So oh, another, okay. another one that's just, yeah, probably assignment work, um, right. which is at, you know, is sitting at 342, skin is at 345. And then to just give context, uh, it's just above it is one that Pete and Andy talked about on their show called Sort of Trust, which is a Lynn Shelton, really quirky comedy so it feels very strange to have this film next, sitting next to, you know, just below that comedy. And then 
right below that, another one they talked about years ago on the main show, Day of the Locust, which is a very unsettling and disturbing film about Hollywood. But for the next trailer rewind film, I'm going to have to go all the way down to 352, which isn't too far, but it's way, way back in the early days of trailer rewind. If you remember a film called Mr. Nobody. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's usually that's right around my middle block. Yes, that's, exactly. That's not my exact middle block, but it's it's right around there. Right. For me. So we're sitting right in that range again. So I put it at three and a half stars because I felt that, yeah, there's some pieces of the execution that worked really, really well for me. And as I said, I, I'll start at three and they, it can move its way up. And I felt there was enough to really nudge this up to that extra half star. I, I put it at a like because I'm always one for those films that are going to spur conversation, give you something to really think about and ponder. And we can get into that uh, and as we get into our discussion. But looking at where Skin fell in other ratings and reviews, uh, it has a weighted average on Letterboxd of 3.1. So similar to okay. where you put that based yeah. on on only 7,500 reviews, basically. So yeah. not a lot of people on Letterboxd have, have rated this one. Over at IMDb, it's got a rating of 6.9, so a little higher based on 22,000 sure. 22, votes. So a lot okay, more action yeah, over on different. IMDb there. Uh, so that's that's our recommendation you know, for you. Is this a movie for you? Well, you can go check out Skin on Canopy and Showtime's streaming service if you're still not sure. Well, we're going to dive into a conversation about Skin in just a moment. Before we get under the surface of skin, we really need to give credit where credit is due. Trailer Rewind is a member of the True Story FM Entertainment Network. Check out all the great podcasts at truestory.fm. Our episodes are engineered by Pete Wright, and our intro music is Duda by Ian Post. Okay. What do, what do you take away from this film? Well, we talked a lot about you know how the trailer is is very representative of the film. One thing that uh, I was surprised about in the film was how much time they spent in the thick of the negative, you know, because the the trailer really points to the turnaround when he's going to going to start reporting and start getting the folks. But that's really only a a relatively small bit in the end of the third act. Um, what this really shows is the intensity and drama and terror that's involved with this type of group and how creepy it is. It was just so, I mean, it made my skin crawl, just the different tactics they were using to recruit people and the way that they kept people under their thumb in this really sort of cult way. And, and if we ask what the film is trying to accomplish, because all the names have not been changed, because, you know, they're direct representations, I think this is trying to tell the story of something that's terrible and that is out there and that needs to be uh, that needs to have be highlighted. Right. And I think, you know, we see with Jenkins that he's been doing this kind of work for a while. And I think that, you know, that this stuff is happening in middle America in, in all different places. And this kind of stories need to be told. It's really hard to swallow, though. And I think that's why when it's trying to accomplish this saying that it's if you think it's bad, it may be a little worse than you even think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. <sighs> I was wondering, like, why tell his story? I mean, yes, it, he's sure. You know, so Brian Widner is somebody that, again, in 2011 was all over in the media because of this dramatic shift and him being so high up and such a well-known figure with one of the most violent hate groups in the country at, at that yeah, time. And terrible. so I thought to really humanize this person, you know, it's like, OK, how we from the beginning I mean, we, we get a brief glimpse early on of him as a young boy getting his head shaved. You know, we, we don't have right. any context for that, but, you know, 
that signifies, okay, we know he was, I guess, indoctrinated at a very young age. And so, but then we, we jump right into, what is it, 2009, you know, the Columbus, Ohio, and we've got the, you know, the big clash and confrontation. And I thought, of okay, the two groups. of these yeah. two groups. And yeah, there's, there's so many subtle things that happen in there, because if you, if you're watching carefully, you see as, as Brian and his group, you know, are marching forward and there's police standing there as they pass one of the offers, they like exchange a handshake, you know, yeah. or a signal or something that just, yeah, like we're going to, we're going to look away. We're not, you know, I'm, I'm with you. It just ugh, it makes your skin crawl. And I thought, how do how do you redeem a character like this? And that, that's sure. my one challenge with this film is that I really struggle with going through is what is his, what's his pivot as a character of what's that decision point that happens to give him that realization of, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I want out of this. And it's, I couldn't identify one clear emotional moment where I could say, Oh, there's a switch that was flipped. It seems like it's a gradual thing. So I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, you, you could point to him, to his interesting uh, meeting with Julie and saving the, the girls from um, being pelted with beer cans. I mean, just disgusting. But when Julie says, you know, I don't want my kids to be around this anymore, that's kind of the first seed being planted because she likes him and uh, and and. And he doesn't it doesn't look like he's kind of had that kind of attention from someone who's on the outside or wants to be on the outside before. And then as they move forward, they make a little bit stronger of a push to say that when they get to a place where he's he's forced to kill some people that he wasn't comfortable killing. That was kind of the big push for him because he didn't see why these people had done anything wrong. Um, and it, it sounded like that was kind of the thing that was too much for him to bear, which I think is really interesting considering all the indoctrination and all of the terrible things that he's going through and, and spewing before he gets to this point. But I agree with you. I think it's gradual and it's not really clear that there's a specific turning point. And, and maybe that's by design for sure. Well, as I, I, as I went back to the beginning because I wanted to see if there was something in the beginning that maybe I've missed or, you know, what, what's laying our, our framework for this. And that I came back to the recruitment of Gavin. Yeah. You know, and, and so there's that scene. He didn't really like that either, did he? No, well, and that was, that's the part that was interesting is there's that, that little moment where Brian's there with his dog and Gavin comes in and like, okay, is this just hazing the new kid? What is it? And he's like, why, why are you here? Why are you here? And he, you know, basically get, you know, Gavin starts spouting the propaganda. He's like, no, 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 stop, cut that out. Like, why are you here? And Gavin's basically like, well, they fed me. And I realized, you know, and we get Brian's story a little bit later on with, you know, when he goes to visit Julie and they're having beer on the porch and he talks about, you know, Fred and they, they made him who he is. And it's, it's where he says, you know, I feel like I owe them. And that's where, you know, Daniel says, like, if they're family, you don't owe them anything. And I feel like that's, I started to piece together. Okay, he never really bought into the propaganda. He went along with it because he, he feels like he owes these people. He feels obligated to it. And, yeah, and you're, it was... you're surrounded by it. You don't have an out. You don't have any other perspective on things. And I thought, okay, this, this is really interesting because it's, to me, telling, you know, this sort of like subtext of people will do horrible things if they feel like they're loved or they belong. And so people that are loners and outsiders that feel like they're useless, they will go to anything 
that provides them a sense of, oh, I'm somebody cares about me or I'm part of right. family. And I'm like, that that's heartbreaking. That's, that's where that's, that's all where it it's takes. Like a cult. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that I was like, okay, here's the human drama now of him now identifying, no, here's Julie and her three daughters, and here's another family I have that doesn't isn't involved in all these hateful things. And I can have that. I can have people that care about me. Okay. You know, Desi, the one daughter, you know, she's got her issues with Brian. I can't blame her for that at all. But that sense of belonging and family, what he thought he was getting from the crew is he's, he's now getting from this family. And I thought, okay, that's, that's what's really driving the story. Cause we have that constant tug of He's trying to get himself out. Something happens and Daniel's like, or Julie's like, I'm, I'm done. You know, right. I, you know, that happens, I think like two or three times because he can never fully extricate himself because they right. always track him down. And it seems like every single time it's something worse and yeah. worse each time, because first it's the, oh, we're going to go burn the the building down. And he sees the, the guys that are sleeping and sort of, you know, gives them the ability to get out. And then, right. They moved to you know, whatever Indiana, and that's where Fred and the crew track him down. It's like, oh, and it's hey, the these guys escaped from the fire. Must have been you. So now you've got to you've got to finish the job. Like, oh, just brutal. <laughs> yes, which just ends up brutal. Just ends up putting you know Brian in the hospital again. And yep, yeah, it's just like it is not easy at all. And then we've you know that's for me like the. The mo- there were so many times where he could have just said, okay, fine, I'm, I'm back in and just go along with it. The, the emotional fortitude to continue to stand up knowing that his life is at risk, the kids' lives are, lives are at risk. Um, yeah, just makes this a harrowing story. Right. And, they, and you know, I, I, I don't mean to be very blunt, but they kill the dog, which yes. is one well, of my least favorite things in yeah. film. But they do it in a, in a way, and honestly, I've, I've walked out of films before. I walked out of Rob Roy when they killed the dog on screen. I was like, okay, this movie's terrible. But um, but the way that they did it in this film didn't bother me as much as usually. I mean, usually that's one of my things that I, that is a real signal to me. But because everything takes place off screen at night, and then he discovers it during the day, and they keep it off camera for most of it, they just, you realize that's what's happening. They don't even say that's what happens, but they give you just enough to understand what has happened. And then they just show you Brian's is sort of falling apart about it. I think it was done in a graceful enough way to show just how terrible these people are without having to make it cheap in a sort of directorial way um, that says, okay, these people are bad now. You know, we, we, it's just an additional layer of evilness that's kind of laid across these, this terrible gang. And I think, I think it does really well. And then you see that everything's been spray painted, including their cars and everything. It's just really scary. And I mean, you get to that last point where Julie says it's enough when he freaks out and sees the Freya tattoo on Desi, on the oldest daughter, and because he knows the connection to Shireen, that in the story I thought was really elegantly written because you have the interaction between Desi and Shireen maybe 50, 55 minutes earlier. And it's r- relatively benign when it happens. It's still layered with all that creepiness of, you know, cult indoctrination and whatnot. But it's done in a way that it just drops it and they never bring it back up until we get to Brian's paranoia when he's being tracked down by the gang. That kind of stuff you don't really expect from a movie like this when it's in this sort of 
based on a true story documentary style thing. It was really done well. And those little story bits made me feel like it's a very superior movie when talking about the way that it wants to showcase how scary and how intense the situation really is that they were running from. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that because I I had to rewind that back a couple of times because I'm like, what is his Desi says she's going down to the pool at the hotel they're staying. So, okay, great. And then she's well, there. You needed to see what triggered him. Is yeah, I needed to see what triggered yeah. him. And it's like, so she's just like got her towel. She's putting her hair up. And I'm like, and then he's like, he responds. I'm like, did he see somebody? What did he see? And then when he grabs her at the tattoo, I'm like, oh, did he see that? And it's like, yeah, you can see just enough of the tattoo on her arm. I'm like, oh, okay. This is what's setting him off because they can't get away. He thinks she's the mole inside that she's yes. leaking information out and that paranoia of they're always out there they always know what's going on right again but creates that wedge again between the family of he's freaking out scares desi to death you know right. julie's like done it's the one more time of like no i'm i'm not this is not and the life point, i have for my daughters yeah she's pregnant with his child yes. by the way as well yes. so it's exactly a... <sighs> yes Super it's, difficult. Spot. Oh, yeah. It, it, that's the, you know, real. It, that's the human drama to this. And it, it goes back to early on. One of my favorite. I think it just captures, you know, everything. So because well, we haven't even talked about sort of the, the other sort of storyline that's there, which is with uh, Daryl Jenkins. And, you know, as he's talking you know, early on after the whole, you know, confrontation, you know, with the riots and all of that. And the one, the 14 year old kid that gets put in the hospital and, you know, he's explaining to, I think it's his son, you know, like, why, why is he, you know, working this angle on Brian? And it's, you know, this idea of that, you know, guys like this have three options. They either die young, they spend their life in prison or they start talking and he's got his wall of people that he has been able to crack open to get get them out to get some information on that. And that's, um, it sets that up. And I, although we know Brian's not going to die, it's that whole idea of if he starts talking, could he still end up in prison? Could he, could his life still be in, in danger? It's, it's not a clear path to any one of these, because even as he does start talking, try to get out there, he's still not safe. There's still what, what a transition from yeah. kill team. Oh, the last yeah. show to go to this and see how how much drama is really associated with the idea of whistleblowing or coming clean or this kind of thing and how how dangerous it is for whistleblowers in the world of of any of any sort really yeah and that's that's the i thought how far do they need to go because he's in ohio gets to indiana i'm like okay you're over one state board i mean do you have to go to california to get away or is it even possible to get away or is this a network that is going to follow them around because the we as we see early on that that first you know when he meets the girls at the little you know whatever event where fred talks about he's running for public office and all that there's the the group that starts throwing the beer cans and everything the west coast people. the west coast yeah. people so it's like yeah going to california may not have been an option for him as well where can you run and the whole idea of okay he's made that choice but his body is just a historical record of every horrible thing he's done. And that's the other piece to this is trying to go get a job when you've, you know, what was once your pride is now your shame. Uh, and it's just there in public for everybody. And the the fact that he goes through these excruciating 
surgeries to have these tattoos removed. And I, I love the, at the end of the film, the sequence of photos where we, you see sort of the different phases. That was um, great. To, you know, the, the real pictures of, of Brian as he went through that transformation to have all those removed from his face and neck and to see what he looks like now. Um, yeah. And that's just, okay. It's, it's heart wrenching to make that decision to feel unsafe, but then to physically put yourself through that torture of having all of that removed. Um, yeah. The pain of, of removing your ugly past is, um, I think it's just a great metaphor as well that I think works really well here. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not, you know, I love movies like this because there's not a lot of heightened drama, you know, and melodrama to this. It's just really history with the gut. Um, with this, that's the key. It's not know, melodrama. It doesn't yeah. feel constructed at all, especially because of how, it, when you get to the end and you start seeing how 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 authentic they were being to the to the real story and to the real people in the story, you really get the sense that um, they were trying to be uh, careful and very uh, with what they told you about what was happening. And and yeah, it doesn't feel like melodrama. It feels like something that if I were if a situation that if you were in as an audience member, you would feel equally as threatened as Brian did and equally as as in, in a difficult spot as he was, which is that point you were trying to make earlier or that you that you brought up at, at the beginning of what they're really trying to do is humanize the story of what people go through when they when they're when they're trying to get out. So when you have a, a straightforward story like this and you're you're working chronologically of these are the events that happened in Brian's life and we're gonna probably hew as close to actual events as we can, the choice to interrupt with the flash forwards to the tattoo removal surgeries throughout. And I think that was one thing that I, I wasn't sure what to make of that. And the one that particularly struck me because it threw me for loop was the one where he's, he's just had the surgeries. I think it's the ones on his face and then he's, he's in the hospital and suddenly there's someone there in his room that lights him on fire. And yeah. you know, wakes up and it's a dream. And I thought, okay, that, you know, that's an interesting moment. It's, you know, a, a great trailer moment to have somebody in a hospital bed flailing as they're, they're on, on fire, uh, memorable moment, but we don't really delve into the, it's, it's, I'm trying to look at the context of what he was going through in the one timeline versus the other. And it's one of those things that it may take multiple viewings, but it's something I just struggle with of. We need to break up this story, so we're going to insert these this progression of the tattoo removals because it's not there's no story there where we're going to have two stories sort of converge at the end and say, okay, this is where where this ends, this is you know where this one picks up or anything like that. How did that structure work for you? Is just those those sequences? Well, it seemed like they were chapter headings, right? The way that okay. they're presented yeah. to us, right. and I think that the, the reason the vehicle was chosen, in, in my in my best guess, was that it was meant to show the amount of time necessary to eliminate the uh, the the sort of record that you were talking about, this historical record that was on Brian's body. And I think it does two things. I think it actually tells how long it takes and how excruciating it was, and then also um, when you compare it to the rest of the story and to the rest of the years that he was going through, how how 
as opposed to how long, how quick someone can turn around. Because while it is a long time and it does and it is excruciating, he's relatively able to change his life quickly because he's given the chance to do so. And I think so it, it, it's, it's really interesting in how when putting them next to each other like this, you know, the story versus these sort of chapter headings of, of the tattoo removal, how it shows that it's both excruciating and long, but also much faster than all the terrible stuff that you've lived through your entire life. And I think that is is in the way of giving you a warning, but also encouraging folks that it's possible, which I think is I, I think it's done well. I don't know if it, it I don't know if it it created additional drama or not. I think I think for me, it was more just kind of a vehicle to deliver the story. And since the drama in the flashback is so intense, I don't think it it, it broke anything up for me at all. I was I was happy with it because I felt like it, it was a creative way of describing what was going on in Brian's life. The good news, I think, is, you know, this is based on a true story. And I, I did do a little bit of research to see, you know, what happened, you know, with the Vinlanders Social Club and all of that. And it's, it's really, um, I mean, at that time that Brian was there, it was one of the the top most violent hate groups in the country as, as tracked by the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center. And since then, they have really lost their standing and their strength. So, you know, either through his leadership being removed, whatever information was shared, all of that, um, we can say that that had a overall positive effect in really reducing the amount of hate crime and all of that from, from this group. So if you are interested in anything about Brian or, you know, that group, you can check out the, the Southern Poverty Law Center at splcenter.org. Uh, they track all the hate groups and you can, you know, find out, you know, if there are any in your area, actually, uh, they, they track all the hate groups and all that. Uh, but it's, it, they, you know, have some articles sort of talking about Brian's story. They write a little bit more detail about the surgery, that there was somebody that uh, donated, I think it was around $35,000 is what those surgeries cost to have that some some benefactor said yes this is important we need to get him out of this and this is an important part of that and they donated the funds to allow those surgeries um to happen what to give gesture. him his freedom such yeah. a great gesture yeah. yes and you know at the end of the film we get you know those actual you know clips and you know video of of brian and daryl together they they're still doing their work they're still friends uh yeah. best friends and all of that so it as you get to the end there is some redemption there, there is some, some positivity. There's a little bit of light at the darkness because the narrative story just ends with Brian showing up on the doorstep, on Julie's doorstep. Trying to come back. Trying to come back. That's removed. His real family. Uh, yes, yeah. his real family. And uh, yeah, so I feel like it took us through a dark, <laughs> a really dark trench uh, to come out with for some hope and optimism on the other side. But uh, yeah, this yeah, it's is, much more dark than hope. Yes, but it does. It's like the punctuation is the hope. The optimism. Yes. The, we have a nice period of optimism at the end of this, but the sentence is all about the dark, scary nonsense yes. that makes it really hard to get through. So yes, that's yeah. that was the the purpose of the film was drama, not not the redemption no. that we get at the end. No, it, it, and again, it, a story that's ten years old and it's still being relevant sure. in this country. Um, you know, at the time in 2018, when this, you know, 2018, 2019. Yeah, yeah, this is, you know, subject matter that's still relevant, pertinent today. And I feel like it's a film that more people really should watch because I, I other than trying to shield them from the darkness, I can't think of a really good reason to not 
watch this film because I think it's going to bring about some good conversations. It's going to, you know, lead to some discussions, lead people to do some, some research about, about Brian, about these organizations to, to educate themselves. And as I, you know, come back to the fact that all it takes is for somebody to not feel loved and wanted, and they're just ready to be scooped up because we see that's what happens with Frank. They're just driving along and they see some kids, you know, chucking rocks and beer bottles, you know, near a derelict bridge. And it's like oh, with Gavin. Yeah. Yeah. With no, Gavin. I mean, okay. that's, that's, you know, how do they scoop up Gavin? And yeah, that's all it takes is for somebody to feel like, oh, well, these people care about me. My family right. hates me, you know, this or that. And <sighs> you're, you know, evil will just step in to take hold of that. And that's, you know, I think the, the, the great takeaway from this is, yeah, to have those conversations of who do you know that you in your life that you see being pushed to the outside because there is this potential. Um, yeah. Everybody needs to be loved. Yes. That's what this thing tells me exactly. more than anything else. Yes. Everybody exactly. needs to feel loved. And, yes. uh, and if, and if we don't give enough love to the people that need it, they're going to find it from places that are scary. So. Yes, exactly. Well, I want to talk about the camera a little bit. Um, the, one of the things that I liked that, that I love to see in films is a lot of, uh, of, of clever overhead and motion control shots. This one set you up with a number of them that appeared to be drone shots the way that they were, the, the way that they were delivered. I'm not sure if they were, but it does appear that they were. Um, the one that ended up being most effective for me, though, it was once Brian it refuses to kill the two, uh, the two illegals, as they, as they call them, that were, that escaped. And so he gets shot and the, the illegals get put in a burned out car. It killed. They get stabbed with it. Looks like a screwdriver in a in a burned out car, and then uh, the whole uh, the social club, the Vinlander social club, leave, and they're left there with the car burning and Brian on the ground. And there's something about that overhead shot, especially when it's when it when it looks like it's a drone shot, that it. it increases the feeling of desolation to mm-hmm. me. Yes. So when you okay. see looking down from above, you feel helpless. You feel like you're observing and you want to do something, but you can't. So you have this smoking car with these two dead bodies in it, and then you have Brian lying helpless, you know, and bleeding. And it's just this kind of thing of, oh, goodness, like it, it, it really accentuated the sort of terribleness of the situation to me. And it was done in a really smart way. I don't know that there's any other reason to shoot that shot other than to give you this shot as an audience member, because there's no there's no point of view up there. Right. I mean, this is this is this is the God's eye view. But it's the kind of thing of as audience members, we see it and we're like, ah, such a terrible thing. And I can't do anything about it. So it gives you this really you're put in a fishbowl. And there's other times when 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 filmmakers will do that, that it doesn't make sense or it doesn't really work to deliver the emotion that you're trying to do. In this film, they set you up for it by giving you a bunch of uh, of more benign overhead shots and more benign motion control shots before you get to it. That when you have this intense drama of I don't know if you would call that the climax of the film, but it's definitely one of the one of the most intense crises, if not the climax of Brian's journey here. Um, and they set it up with this overhead shot that leaves you unable to do anything about it as much as you want to help the people involved. And I found that the that that sort of uh, that setting the sort of structure for the way that they were using the camera in that way worked really well for me, even though I'm not I'm, I'm not usually a big fan of drone shots or or, or 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 static overheads like that. But I think it was done to to, to a really well uh, to a really great art in this film. No, I think that you're you're hit the nail right on the head that this is a really crucial moment because yeah, that's Brian's left for dead there. Basically. I mean, he's, I mean, well, he's, yeah, he's not doing well. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. In terms of that sense of isolation, desolation of, yeah, he's, 
not going to get out of this because we're in a remote sort of semi-rural area. There's nothing really yeah. there around. There's no, there's no, nobody coming in to rescue him. Any of that? No, that's, yeah. I, as soon as you mentioned that, I thought, yep, that's one of the shots that really stands out for me. I mean, again, across the board, technically, I think, you know, again, really well done film. I mean, there's, there's a lot yes. that, that works really well in terms of cinematography, music, all of this. Um, but again, I think it's all in service of just really hitting us in the gut with, you know, the feels that they want us to feel. Um, yeah, how, it's so yeah. stark. The color is perfect for middle America during the winter. You know, I mean, just so much of what they did technically was sound with this film. And I think they deserve credit for that. Well, I, I don't know that we're going to a happier place I, I think <laughs> with our, our next one. I, I hope that there's a little bit more positivity. I think it won't be as dark. But ne coming up next, we'll be talking about If Beale Street Can Talk, which is available to stream on Hulu, a film that I am ashamed to say I have not seen. Uh, right. it on, it, it's an assignment for us because we're both ashamed that we missed it when it was yes, in the theater. Yes, it's, I, I think one that will be ultimately very rewarding. It's one that had a lot of Oscar buzz when it came out. Um, and I think, again, you know, it's another 2018 film. There was something going on in 2018 where there were a lot of stories to be told about racial injustice in this country. So we'll be seeing what we have to learn from if Beale Street could talk coming up next. Uh, but for our listeners, I want to say thank you to listening to Trailer Rewind. We love hearing from you, giving us your insights. Love to hear what you think about the gut punch of skin. Uh, JJ, always a pleasure talking with you. We'll see you next time. Hondo. Thank you for listening to Trailer Rewind. If anything we said here entertained, educated, or even enraged you, we'd like you to tell people about this podcast. Whatever your listening platform is, please share, rate, or write a short review. It helps other podcast listeners find us. If you enjoy connecting with other film fans, you can become a member of our community on Discord. It's free, and there's always an interesting dialogue or debate to jump into. You can also financially support us. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive Discord channels, the opportunity to chat with us live before we record an episode, and the warm feeling you get knowing you are contributing support to the behind-the-scenes resources that help everyone here at the Next Real Family of Podcasts. So please join us on Discord or become a Patreon supporter. Either way, we would love to have you be part of our community. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. 
If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Get started today.